After this, Jesus went to Jerusalem for a religious festival. Near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool with five porches. In Hebrew, it is called Bethsatha. A large crowd of sick people were lying on the porches. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. A man was there who had been sick for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that the man had been sick for such a long time. Do you want to get well? Sir, I don't have anyone here to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else gets there first. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. The day this happened was a Sabbath, so the Jewish authorities told the man who had been healed, This is a Sabbath, and it is against our law for you to carry your mat. The man who made me well told me to pick up my mat and walk. Who is the man who told you to do this? But the man who had been healed did not know who Jesus was, for there was a crowd in that place, and Jesus had slipped away. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. You're well now. So stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Then the man left and told the Jewish authorities that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is quite a passage, and this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jim, for sharing with us this morning. It's so good to have you. Well, we're uh, marching along, 
tuning our hearts to what the Spirit is saying to us in the Gospel of John. And we've come all the way to the fifth chapter this morning, uh, trying hard to limit each chapter to just one message, which is very difficult uh, at times to leave a chapter and feel like it's a little unfinished. On the other hand, if the Spirit says that you have to stay in this chapter for a little bit longer, uh, that is what we'll do. I hope you have a Bible this morning or a, a smartphone and that you will follow with me because uh, this is indeed a wonderful passage. You know, one of the most difficult uh, things for a child or for any of us, I guess at any age, is to be picked last. Ever been on a team where you were the last to be picked? They choose up captains, you know, Frank and John, and they keep going back and forth until finally the teacher says, now we can't start unless someone picks Ken. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. We can't start until Ken gets on some team. Last on the list. Doesn't it fire you up to say, I'll show you. You, you may pick me last, but I'm going for it. No competitive spirit here. Interesting storyline this morning of a man who somehow always seemed to get left behind. His physical limitations prevented him from getting to the head of the pack. As you read the Gospel of John, you begin to see that there are movements or there are themes or there are emphases that are emerging. And you have to stand back a little bit to see them. And even if you miss the bigger themes, you still get the meaning of the passage. But there are some themes that are emerging. The first four chapters uh, are dealing with what have, some have called the institutions uh, in John's day. For example, the institution of the temple and the cleansing of the temple by our Lord. But always the reminder is of who Jesus is, that he is the Logos, that he is the Son of God, that he is the second person of the Trinity. But in chapter 5, we make a bit of a turn, and I'd never really noted this before. Every chapter from chapter 5 through chapter 10 focuses on a festival that happened in the life of the nation of Israel. So the Sabbath festival is the focus in chapter 5, but in chapter 6, the focus is on the Passover festival, and then in chapter 7, it's what's called the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, and lots of festivals, and they play into how Jesus speaks to the culture and to the significance of life in the nation of Israel. And then in chapter 10, it's the Hanukkah uh, festival. Three times every year, the Jewish families were expected to travel to Jerusalem for worship. From all over the country, from near and far, they were expected to come to Jerusalem to worship. And as they did, they were giving thanks for the way in which God had worked in their history. And it seems to me that Jesus is intercepting these festivals. And he's adding another dimension to them. He is stretching the people to say, and here's the rest of the story. Here's how God is at work in your midst today in this festival. Here's how it plays out, and I'm part of that. Well, our focus this morning is, is the fifth chapter of John, and it relates to the Sabbath. And just like Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, the Ph.D. of his world in chapter 3, 
He meets him precisely where he's at and he speaks into his heart so that one day Nicodemus bows the knee and says, I believe. We find that at the end of of the Gospel of John. And just like Jesus speaks to the woman, to the woman at the well, uh, in fact, a Samaritan woman, and his interchange with her is absolutely incredible. Now, in chapter 5, we see him relating to a paraplegic. And he marvelously heals him. And he makes him whole. But through it all, he illustrates freedom from the bondage of the Sabbath. And he teaches him how to find life in the Son of God. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. Now, if we need some coat hangers uh, for our thoughts this morning, to hang a few thoughts on, let me just put it this way. Number one, identifying what you really want. Identifying what you really want. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? The Pool of Bethesda. I think uh, when we were there in Jerusalem in 1973, if my memory serves me correct, the, the site looked pretty rough. For many years, the location of this pool was lost, covered with the debris of the centuries. But in the early 1960s, this area was discovered. All the debris was excavated. Today, you can see the pool minus the water. But complete with the five porches, it is a reminder of the days in which Jesus walked among us. And there are gates all around the old city of Jerusalem, And this pool is located near the Sheep Gate, the Sheep's Gate, or what has now been renamed to be be called St. Stephen's Gate. It, of course, was very close to the temple, and it was to this area that Jesus chose to walk one day. It may be important to just stop and remind ourselves that Jesus walked among the needy of his day. Jesus walked among the needy of his day. He didn't spend the focus of his ministry at the temple. He didn't give undue attention to the rich and to the famous who could help him politically or woo them for their deep pockets to sponsor his ministry. It was never that. He concentrated on people in need, uh, which, of course, often irritated the elite of society, the religious leaders. He eats with sinners and publicans. Not republicans, but publicans. Wasn't that the criticism? The dregs of society. He he associates with them. In this story, he visited the pool kind of below the temple area where the hurting of humanity hung out. Whenever I visit in the hospital, I am reminded that anything I have ever to complain about is pretty minor compared to what others are going through. 
Last month, uh, someone called my name on the fourth floor of the university hospital, and I turned around, and, and I greeted a lady that I hadn't seen for a long time. She works with Ronald McDonald House, and uh, she introduced me to a 14-year-old girl, a patient. I'll call her Marcy. Uh, and Marcy is this young gal who was just so bright and chipper and uh, was a student there at the, at the hospital um, doing her schoolwork because she, she, couldn't, she, they, she couldn't be removed from the hospital. She needed care. And uh, after the 14-year-old Marcy left our conversation, this lady proceeded to tell me that, that Marcy has had 11 open-heart surgeries and two brain surgeries. And she had a backpack on, and, and uh, just kind of in layman's terminology, that backpack was stabilizing the heart that was transplanted. It's like, oh. And yet she, she had a vibrant spirit. She's cheerful. She's going forward, determined not to miss a beat. She's amazing. And, of course, I'm sure at, at times she has, has her down times as well. The Pool of Bethesda, which means... Uh, uh, house of grace, or uh, it means uh, house of mercy, was just on the lower side of the temple. And uh, people didn't want to walk through that area because it was just too hard to see the pain and the brokenness of humanity. It was depressing. It is hard. It is hard to see the pain of this world and sometimes feel so helpless to come along and contribute something meaningful. But Jesus went out of his way to visit such a place. Now, a curious blend of Hebrew religion and Greek superstition held that an angel of God periodically stirred the waters and promised healing to the first invalid able to pull themselves into the pool. Now, as you look at your text this morning or your, I, uh, your smartphone, you probably don't have a verse 4 in the translation that you're reading. It goes directly from verse 3 to verse 5 unless you're reading the King James Version. See, they have discovered older manuscripts that didn't have the explanation that the King James Version gives. So typically, it is footnoted. And the explanation helps us to see why all these very sick people were lying close to the pool of Bethesda. They believed in a rather superstitious way that from time to time, when the water was troubled, the first person who got into the pool would be healed. Now, we know this in our world today, don't we? It's not unusual. Lords in southern France, if some of you have been there, has a spa, which many believe has the ability to heal. If you've been to Mexico, the Shrine of Guadalupe in Mexico City has thousands of crutches stacked along its wall. It's believed that this is a place where many can receive blessing and healing from God. First Nations people often travel to Lac St. Anne at the end of July for celebration where they believe many are cured from their infirmities. The Pool of Bethesda was a very sad sight to behold. 
Roger Fredrickson commented, he said, I have haunting memories of seeing a vast throng of people bathing in the supposedly sacred but filthy water of the Ganges River in Calcutta, even though a mile or two up the river, sewage was being dumped into the water. It's easy to think that this man had been transported over to the pool of Bethsaida by his friends, because he couldn't walk. For 38 years. I guess I always kind of read it that way, didn't you? But actually it says that he has been sick for 38 years. We don't know how many years he's been at the pool, day in and day out, waiting for his miracle. So picture the scene. Jesus comes walking into this area of the pool and he sees all of these hurting, sick, crippled people. And out of that crowd... He selected one, one lonely, desperate man. His hope had run out. He had lost the ability to dream about anything that would ever change for him. He felt that he was destined for hopelessness for the rest of his life. Actually, it was amazing that he lived to be 38 years old because that was pretty good. The lifespan in those days was, was pretty short. And him being so sick, all of these, it was amazing that he was still alive. But as I thought about this, maybe we ought to see the pool of Bethesda as a pool where the masses of humanity are stretched out, even today, hurting physically, but also emotionally and relationally, and spiritually. Like, we're we're all kind of stretched out. And we all need help. And we all find ourselves paralyzed at times, unable to pick ourselves up and move forward. In the past days, we've witnessed uh, this terrorist activity in in Canada. Thank you, for Lorraine, for just raising that. Can you imagine in our land... In Canada, the country known throughout the world as the peacemaker nation, and here it is on our doorstep. God keep our land glorious and free. Oh, Canada, we stand on guard for thee. But it's indicative of the brokenness of our lives when people become radicalized and want to kill other innocent people because they don't have anything transformational to believe in. Nothing is gripping their heart. So they create a false world of of hatred and murder. They need a cause. And they select a violent, ridiculous cause, but nevertheless a cause that they're willing to sacrifice their own lives for. They're broken to the point of sacrificing their lives, willing to to cause great pain and destruction. Violence has no limit. So what a paralysis of heart. Paraplegic hearts, not just legs. What a strange question Jesus asked this man. And all of us, would you like to get well? Do you want to be healed 
Sorry? Do you, do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? Now, we know that Jesus never asks a question unless he's driving at something. Would you like to get well? My natural response is, well, who wouldn't? But as I think about that question, I guess I've seen a number of people over the years that didn't want to get well. They didn't want to get well. Why would anyone want to remain sick on a physical level or an emotional level or a relational level or on a spiritual level? Why would you not want to be well? Well, the thing that comes to me quickly is it might be like some prisoners who have been incarcerated for the vast majority of their lives. And to think about being free on the outside is absolutely intimidating. I don't know if I could get in stride with the rest of society. It would be like culture shock. I don't know if I can catch up. There may be some who would like to be well, but on the other hand, they don't want to deal with the responsibility of being well because the expectations go up. The responsibilities increase. It's easy to use sickness as a leverage. It can become a form of manipulation. I'm sick. Don't expect me to do that. Most people who are sick want to get well. The majority of people who are sick want to get well. And they want to get back into the land of the living again and they want to feel well and they want to relate to people and they want to come alongside of family. But are there some who don't? Yes. So Jesus asked, do you want to get well? Perhaps he's saying, you know those friends who drop you off every morning? If I heal you, things will change. You'll need to get a job. You'll have to relate to people on a different basis. You'll have to change your attitude. You'll have to deal with the bitterness that has come into your life through all of these events. Are you ready for that change? Do you really want to get well? Do you want to get well spiritually? Some go through life with a spiritual life that is not vibrant, is not not healthy, hanging on to just enough of the faith to say, I believe, I belong to Christ, but not vibrant. Not passionate. Do you want to get well? What keeps someone from getting well? Fear. Fear. If I really say yes to Christ, it's a game changer. And I'm not sure I want to do life any different than my now priorities because it would change that. The first step to getting well is identifying what you really want and is indeed moving towards it. Do you know the name Zig Ziglar? He's been a motivational speaker most of his life. And uh, he said, "I, I took a look at myself one day and said, I can't believe how I've let myself go to pieces. I need to get healthy. So what did he do? He put a picture on his refrigerator of what he wanted to become. He put a picture of a healthy, strong, vibrant guy on his refrigerator door. 
He wanted positive reinforcement, so he said, that's what I want to look like. And that was the first step toward a healthier body. He identified what he really wanted. Do you want God to touch your life? Do you want God to touch your life? Really? Do you want his help with your stresses and your challenges? Sometimes, you, you know, you say, Lord, with all of the hurt and pain in that person's life, why don't they call upon you? Why don't they say yes? Why do they carry that heavy load? Because they don't have to. And sometimes the answer is they haven't come to a point of desperation. They somehow think they can still muster their own resources. They're not ready to admit that they can't make it on their own. They're, they're still determined to crawl down to the pool and hopefully be there first. I think I can do it. I think I can make it on my own. Would you like to get well? Jesus saw something in this 38-year-old guy that caused him to ask the question. We don't know exactly what it was. So first, identifying what you really want. Second, refusing to play the blame game. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. The more I, I read that passage, and I have read it and reread it this week, the more I see how Jesus was kind of just with laser-like precision singling this guy out. And perhaps using him as an illustration for us through the centuries to ask, do I want to get well, not just physically or emotionally or relationally, but spiritually as well? Do I want to get well? Do, do I want to really move forward? There's a miraculous healing in this passage, physical healing. Can, does it happen today? Are people physically healed today? And the answer is yes. We pray for more people these days than ever in our ministry for all kinds of healing. We don't always know what God is doing and how He is healing. We have seen a trail of miracles. Our role is to be faithful. God is the healer. But I believe in healing. And I, and, and I believe it, when God heals, it's all to His glory. We are not the healers, and we just submit ourselves to Jesus. And if you ask for prayer for healing, we will pray. We will pray. Sometimes God chooses to work in different ways. Sometimes He wants us to deal with our afflictions. The example is Paul with the thorn in the flesh. And no matter how many times Paul prayed, that thorn was going to be there. He just, he just carried it. And God, God got the glory through that thorn in his flesh. So we're always glad to come to God on behalf of others and just allow God to do what he wants to do. 
I believe in the sovereignty of God. He may have unique plans for your life that we don't understand. We put it all under his sovereign umbrella. And we commit one another to the Lord. And how he determines to work is always the best. We invite him to do his good work among us. So I certainly believe that God is moving in our day and transforming lives. He is the one who transforms and we are his servants. But just delighted to be part of what he is doing. You see, this man doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know him. Jesus is just a friendly stranger. He addressed Jesus with a respectful sir. He put himself under the authority of Jesus, but he didn't really know him. And even then there is this note of self-pity in his answer. I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles. It's hard from our perspective to see the real nuance in in that phrase. But I think Jesus picked it up very quickly. Don't you kind of read between the lines? I'm the last one to be picked. I'm a permanent loser. I've grown to have a bitterness in my heart. I carry a resentment in my heart. This is just not fair, what's happened to me. I mean, it's so easy to blame others or to blame God. When God asked Adam why he disobeyed, what was his response? Yeah, the woman, the woman, that, no, this way or this way. The woman you gave me persuaded me to eat. It's the woman's fault. And when Moses asked his brother Aaron why he permitted the Israelites to worship a golden calf, remember the story? Aaron said, the people pressured me to do something since you were gone so long, Moses. They wanted gods like the Canaanites. And I just threw the jewelry into the fire and out came the calf. Weird, eh? Just, there it is. Yeah, I'd stop drinking if my husband or my wife would quit nagging me. I'd stop looking at those porn pictures if things were better in our marriage or if I was married. I'd make better grades if I had a teacher that had time for me, but he doesn't like me. I know he doesn't like me. We blame heredity, we blame environment, we blame circumstances. Almost everything except ourselves. You know, some of the most incredible people in our world today have had to overcome their past. My friend at uh, seminary years ago had a dad that he didn't know. He might have met his dad once or twice, but he didn't know his dad. When his unknown dad passed away, He gave all of the siblings a substantial inheritance. But he gave to Chuck a $1 bill, a $1 U.S. bill. He would have been better to give nothing than to give one hurtful dollar. But Chuck is a fine man. He was a a wonderful friend. He is a wonderful friend, colleague. He went on to become the seminary president in years to come. And he now heads up a large corporate foundation. And he has never allowed his past to hold him back. Bob Russell, a well-known pastor for years in Louisville, once said, My father was the 17th of 18 children. Well, that's a big family. His mother died when he was four, 
His father had a drinking problem. He was juggled back and forth between his sister's homes. Yet through it all, he said, My father is one of the most gentle, faithful, generous, compassionate people I know. I've never heard him blame his parents or appear bitter about his circumstances. He's proof you can rise above your past. And Jesus sees just a glimmer, a glimmer of hope, and he cuts through all the hopelessness. He doesn't correct his theology. Where did you ever get that weird belief that you would be healed by getting in the water first? He, does, he just goes right past that, just leaves that alone. The guy needs hope. He needs a new start. So Jesus cuts right through and has him pick up his little roll-out sleeping mat. He tells him to get up and start walking. Incredible. This quiet, creative power of God begins to flow through crippled limbs and spirit. And once again, he knows the warmth of life. Hope. He has hope. When we're looking to God for help, almost always there is something that God tells you to do, to act upon. It is a word of action. It is a call to obedience. This paraplegic is called upon to do something he couldn't do, and that is get up and walk. He couldn't do that because Jesus speaks into his life and he tells him, get up and walk. He he must have thought, I don't know how this is going to work. I can't get up and walk. But on the basis of what I've heard, I will act. I will trust. That's huge. That's huge. And then Jesus says to him, take your sleeping mat as well. Why did he say that? You're not coming back here. You're not coming back. The man might have said, well, I'm healed. But maybe I'm healed. I wonder if I'm healed. Maybe I better leave my bed here. I may need it tomorrow if things don't work out. No. Take your mat. Don't make any provision to go back on what you have done. Sometimes we stumble right at this point. Go home and pour out the alcohol. Go home and get rid of the drugs. Go home and erase those websites. Go home and make some choices about friends so you don't get caught in the same trap again. Go home and bury the old attitudes, the old bitterness. Get it out and get rid of it. You notice at the end of verse 9, this all happened on the Sabbath. It's all happened. I have no, I have no doubt that this was quite intentional on the part of Jesus. He stirred up a hornet's nest here. And Jesus knew that he had to do that, that he must teach on this. He must must teach that a relationship with God is not a law. It's not rules. It's not regulations. It's about a relationship. It's about love and grace and finding a personal connect with God. And the irony of seeing such a marvelous miracle and a time when everybody should be rejoicing and saying, this is incredible. You know this guy? He's been sick for 38 years. The irony is you have people angry. You can't carry your sleeping mat on the Sabbath. It's against the law. And there's this great big bucket of water that is dumped on this this celebration that just dampens everybody's spirit. And of course the Jewish leaders find out that Jesus is the source of all of this celebration and controversy. And they begin to level their guns on Jesus. And it will get worse as the months go by. 
See, you can know that when God does something miraculous and marvelous in your midst that you will also be misunderstood. You will be criticized. And you want to say, people, once I was a paraplegic. Look at me. I can walk. I've got hope. I've got people around me that are going to support me. And yet I've got a group of people that are upset that this happened. Just move past the criticism. Just move past the misunderstanding and rejoice in what God is doing in your life. I have to point this out. When Jesus talks to this man once again, verse 14, it says, But afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. You are not only physically well, you have been healed on the inside. You have been made whole spiritually. Now tend to your spiritual life. You see what he's saying? You've got something in your life that needs to be dealt with. So don't let it overtake you again and send you right back into that downward spiral. Perhaps it was a bitter spirit towards somebody. I mean, that'll sap all the energy and strength of, of your life. Or perhaps it, it was a shameful habit that he indulged in. Perhaps it was an injury that he had done to someone, and had refused to correct it. I don't know what it was. I, I'm so curious about what it was. But maybe it's good that we don't know because it's never the same thing with all of us. It's different. So now that you are well, Give yourself unreservedly to Jesus Christ and let him control your life. Oh, there's so much more in these verses, but this is a great story. But an unnamed paraplegic, paraplegic, sick for 38 years, suddenly his life has changed and he's whole again. So identify what you need and uh, don't be part of the blame game. And if you need uh, prayer this morning, if your mind is kind of like internalizing all of this, but you feel God just speaking into your heart, just come after uh, to the front here and we'd be happy to, to pray with you, for you, alongside of you. Uh, so God bless you. Let's pray together. So Lord, help us to, to hear that part of this message this morning that is pertinent to our individual lives. And raise us up all from our place around the pool of sickness and physical, emotional, relational, spiritual sickness. And just raise us up. You know our needs today. You know, you know the desperation levels around us today. So I pray that you would touch bodies I pray that you would touch hearts. I pray that you would touch minds. I pray that you would touch spirits by the power of the Holy Spirit. And help us to never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen.